Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jeff Boyle. Jagler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jagler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Jagler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder, time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world. Gary Willits fell in love with Australian racing when he crossed the Tasman to ride the six-year-old New Zealand gelding Battle Heights in three races at the 1974 Sydney Autumn Carnival. He won two of them, the Sydney Cup and the Queen Elizabeth Stakes. Gary was back in the spring to ride the same horse in four Sydney races before going to Melbourne where Battle Heights won the Cox Plate. The following year, he decided to test the water in Melbourne for a couple of months and a win for Bart Cummings on Holiday Wagon in the Mooney Valley Cup inspired him to give Australian racing some serious attention. Gary brought his wife Ray Wynne and two young daughters to Melbourne and he never returned to New Zealand. He retired in 1991 with almost 1,500 career winners on his CV including around 50 at the elite level when calculated on today's group classifications. Most importantly, he got to ride some of the best horses of his era. Following his retirement from race riding, Gary entered the hotel business and has subsequently had an involvement in several Melbourne pubs and for a short time he had an interest in the Pavilion Hotel in Sydney. Today, he shares in the ownership of Melbourne's Dingley Hotel, where he can be found every Friday pulling beers or running meals to the sportsman's bar. To call Gary Willits a sprightly 78-year-old is a fairly accurate description. Gary, I have not forgotten the day you took me to that sportsman's bar and shouted me a lovely lunch. I owe you one, mate. Good on you, John. (laughs) <laughs> if ever we can get to Melbourne again, I'll reciprocate. Yeah, that's right. Oh, isn't it a stuffed-up world at the moment? <laughs> well, well put. Yeah. Now, when yeah. the late Tim Douglas invited you to come to Australia to ride Battle Heights in three races at Randwick, he yeah. was literally forging your future, wasn't he? Oh, definitely. Um, look, it's funny, John. I was thinking of it um, the other day. At the time, I was nearly leading jockey in New Zealand, and I'd never been leading jockey. Mm. And Tim asked me, uh, we're down at uh, Trentham, Mm. that's the main track in Wellington, beautiful big track, and Tim had asked me to go. And I said to Billy Skelton, "Uh, I don't know whether to go or not. He said, what do you mean? And I said, well, Tim's asked me to go and ride this horse in Australia. Mm. I said, I could be leading jockey here. And I'll never forget it. Mm. The jockey's room at Wellington in those days, it was beautiful mahogany um, where you put your gear and everything. Mm. And Billy opens the door and he says, see that? I've been leading jockey nine times. Never says to me, Billy Skelton, you're nine times leading jockey. Son, if you can go and ride a great horse and get the money, you go. (laughs) <laughs> really? So it was Bill who engineered the whole thing? Well, Bill, you know, really gave me that kick. He said, you know, don't be stupid. Mm. Get over there. You know, you've always been hands-on in your hotel ventures, especially at a pub called the Bull and Bear in the Melbourne CBD some years ago. Now, the, right. the joint was barely on its feet, but you bought it at the right price 
and you and Ray Wynn brought it back to life, didn't you? Put yeah, some hours in. I always say to people, like, for 33 years I just got paid doing something I loved doing. Yeah. And when I couldn't ride again after that fall, mm. um, I thought, oh, I don't really want to go training and I'll go and run the Bull and Bear Tavern. And um, mm. I always say, well, I had to go to work then. Yeah. But, uh, look, I enjoyed that. Um, we turned it right around. We had great clientele. It was mainly bank staff. Stockbrokers, the stock exchangers across the road, yeah. a lot of big insurance companies. And the best thing I ever did, I leased the kitchen to a guy called Barry Idles. And mm. Barry was a real good chef, but a real entrepreneur. If, mm. if someone shifted into a building, he'd be over the next morning with cakes, sandwiches, and things. Mm. So he, he'd do all the catering and I'd get all the grog orders. And uh, <laughs> it was amazing, um, you know. And you could tell the clientele in the banks, mm. you get the young ones would come in, say, from 12 o'clock. They'd be gone by quarter to one. Mm. Then you'd get the others come in, and then you'd get the senior ones come in. They'd be still there at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Is it still there, Gary, the bull and bear? Look, um, the bloke brought it off me, and yeah. I don't know what happened, but uh, it's closed down. Dear me. I couldn't mm. believe it. Mm. We had it firing, you know. And yeah. Yeah, but it was hard work. Uh, your oh, su- yeah. your successor mightn't have fancied the work. <laughs> yeah, well, they, yeah, well, they tell me that was the trouble. Yeah, you want to sit behind the bar and have a drink instead of getting work. Yeah, my word, mate. Now, there's little doubt you would have ridden into your fifties had it not been for that untimely fall at Yarra Glen, in which you sustained very serious arm and elbow injuries. The doctor painted a gloomy picture, didn't he? He did, yes. He he more or less said to me the next morning, look, John, I had a lot of falls at different times, but I never, ever felt the pain I had. When they rolled me over, the right mm. arm, yeah. it was just hanging there, and uh, I'd smashed the arm right on the elbow and above and below it, and mm. I finished up with plates and screws there. Mm. And, um, oh, boy, uh it was pretty painful, but uh, yes. he said to me, look, if you have another fall on that, we oh, can't yeah. guarantee you might lose that arm. Oh, so, yeah, me. Yeah. And you were 49, Gary. Yeah. And that's funny, Johnny, because Raywin kept saying to me, look, I think it's time you stop riding, you know, you, mm. you're getting a bit old. No, 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 but no one can tell you. <laughs> you, know, mm. you. You think you're still 20, but I can tell you when you're 49, you don't bounce like you do when you're 20. Mm. <laughs> well, you, you beat withdrawal symptoms by working hard. I can recall you doing some work for the Nine Network at major yeah. race meetings. You became an advisor to the Racing Appeals Tribunal and later you played a major role in the setting up of an apprentice's training program. Yeah, that's right. Look, I, I was very lucky. Um, also, um, Rob Hells was the Minister for Sport here in Victoria, and he mm. came to me. It was it, Tommy Hughes, the trainer's daughter, actually worked for him. She rang me one day and said, look, the Minister wants to see you. He wants you to set up a superannuation fund for jockeys. Mm. And I went and met him, and... Um, Look, I was very lucky. The VRC gave me a lot of help. There's a guy, John Anstey. He knew so much about the jockeys and everything. And anything I asked him, John, he could just tell you straight away. Yeah. And it was quite extraordinary. The average retiring age for a jockey was 30. Yeah. They didn't get very far. No. And um, I went and had quite a few meetings with the VRC and uh, government, and I said, look, this won't work. I said, they're not going to put their money into something until they're 65. Mm. It's going to be, have to be like a provident fund as well. Mm. So if they want to buy a house or do something, they can get some of the money to put it into things. And uh, mm. it took a while to get through, but I got it all through. And, um, you know, at that stage, the jockeys had to put $5 away and the VRC – or Racing Victoria as it is now, would put 10. So they're getting $15 per ride, ride. Put yeah. for them. Yeah. And it was a, it's been a great success. Yep, and a great deal of satisfaction for you because oh, you, definitely. you were one definitely. of the pioneers. Yeah. yeah. Now, so. let's go back to the formative years in your native New Zealand. Yep. You had absolutely nothing to do with horses as you were growing up in Auckland but in the very early years, you'd get to the races with your mum and your dad. You'd go to Ellerslie. You'd go to Avondale. 
and you quickly fell under the spell of racing. Can you pinpoint the moment when you knew you were going to be a jockey? That's all I ever wanted to do, John, be a jockey. Mm. (laughs) I used to ride my bike over if my mum and dad didn't go to the races and go and I remember there was a, uh, they used to call it the sod wall fence in the uh, straight at Owlsley mm. on the inside course. And I used to go and stand on there and watch the races or go up to the barriers. Gee. That's all I wanted to do. And um, I remember I was going good at school. And we were all going off to high school and they had this vocational guidance lady come to the school. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be a jockey. She said, oh, that's a waste. You should do something better. And I said, no, that's what I'm going to do. Mm. So... I went out to Owlsley and I ran into Fred Smith. He was a leading trainer at the time. Yeah. And I said, Mr. Smith, can I come out in the school holidays? He said, yeah, that's good. So I went home and I said to my dad, I met Mr. Smith today. He said, I can go out in the school holidays. Mm. And my dad said, oh, I'll see what your mother said. And I heard him say to my mother, mm. look, we'll let him go. He'll get it out of his system and he'll come <laughs> home. <laughs> yeah, took, took you 30 <laughs> years. <laughs> Oh, a long time. <laughs> now, Fred knew you'd never. Fred knew you'd never sat on a horse. So, he did. what procedure did he follow? He had a pony there, he, didn't he? No, he had an old horse, My Barboo. I've never forgot its name. Yeah. I used to have to go down and catch it in the paddock, put a bridle on it, put a sack on it, and ride it bareback around mm. the paddock. Goodness that me. that'll teach you to get balance, son. He said. Mm. <laughs> you'd slide over the side, get back, and. You know, uh, funny days. I used to get 10 bob a week. <laughs> Goodness me, a fortune. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I can remember, um, look, uh, I would have been 14 and the big meeting was coming up at Trenton, the Wellington Cup meeting and everything. Yeah. And I was looking after a horse called Santiago and old Fred said, son, you take it to Wellington. It would be like getting a kid to come from Sydney to Melbourne with a horse. Mm. And um, we get down there and Mel Shoemaker – was the leading jock in Brisbane at the time, and Donnie Campbell was going well in New Zealand. Mm. And they said to me, will you clean our gear? So I cleaned their saddles and boots and everything. They gave me £10. I thought I was a millionaire. Goodness (laughs) me, a tenner. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And then I've never forgot that meeting because Neville Selwood came over to ride a horse called uh, Cardigan, the Governor General of New Zealand, owned it, and mm. Bill Broughton was the leading rider in New Zealand. He rode a horse sombrero, and mm. I went over to watch the race, and I've never forgot it, John. I went up in a big stand. Mm. They got together about the 300 mark, and they fought it out the whole way up the straight. And mm. uh, I, I, I went back a couple two years ago. I took 16 guys from Yario Golf Club over to the Wellington Cup meet, and we had a great time. Mm. And I told them about it, and. Uh, then when I came to Sydney a few years later, I won the Neville Selwood handicap, and I met Mister oh. Selwood. So I, mm. yeah, I was really thrilled. He well, was a great jockey. Well, the wonderful. old timers say, Gary, there wasn't a split match between Selwood and George Moore. Oh, I'd say that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you had about thirty race rides before your first winner came along. It was at Ellerslie, and yep. you came back to scale in stony silence because the horse, Silver <laughs> Lad, started at cricket score odds. Yeah. I think it paid £112. <laughs> I think the only, the only one who would have backed it would have been my mother. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, one day at the races in that era, you spotted a very attractive young lady called Raywin, and right. you immediately launched your strategy. You began driving from Auckland to Matamata to visit Raywin. Yeah. And it was there in Matamata where you met a trainer called Bill Ford. Now, yep. you must have been starting to create some sort of an impression because Bill asked you to move to Matamata. Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, you know, Bill will approach me and I went right to his home and he said, look, I'd like you to shift here and come and be my jockey. And I said to him at the time, I said, gee, Bill, there's a lot of jockeys in Matter Matter. And he said to me, son, if you come here, you'll be eating duck and they'll be eating feathers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you never forget cliches like that. Oh, no. And um, look, he he taught me a lot. Um, Mm. He had his own track. He'd go to Matter Matter training track, but uh, other days he'd work them on his own track. And, like, the Auckland area is all Sydney Way of Racing and the Waikato, mm. um, no, 
um, and Waikato's um, like Melbourne way. Yeah. And he was a stickler on horses leading on the right leg. Was he? Mm. And I reckon to this day, if it wasn't for Bill Ford, Manakato wouldn't have won the Golden Slipper. Really? Yeah. He, like, he, Black Opaque was leading. Every time I'd take hold of Manakato, he'd get on the wrong leg and go to go off the track, and I'd get him back again mm. through what Bill had taught me. And I remember at the 400, he got on the right leg, and I let him go. Mm. He put about four lengths on him, and then about the 150, I lost him again. He started drifting out again. Mm. So I rode him hands and heels. And if you watch the Golden Slipper, you'll see him. I go past the winning post, and about 100 yards past, he does a left-hand turn, mm. but full gallop, straight up the 2,000-metre shooting Yeah, race. I remember it, yeah. He you did. Know, um, but he, he – look, he got me so fit, and um, I just never looked back from the time I went with him. Mm. Just getting back to Manicato's slipper, Gary, and while I think of it, uh, a roughie called Smokey Jack – uh, got dangerously close to you, and yeah. you've, you've just explained why Manicato yeah, was right. going sideways at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. He was a look. He had so much ability as a two-year-old, John. You'd be going along, and he'd prick his ear, and he'd start going looking for things to look at. And you, mm. you know, and um, I remember even when I won the rider on him, he came around that home corner. He just pricked his ears, and he's looking. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And even in a couple of his oars stakes, he he was mm. he had so much ability as a three and four year old mm. until his old legs started playing up. Yeah, it's just incredible. He was by a horse called Manahai, Gary. Yeah, who was very talented and very fast, but he was also very quirky. Manahai, from memory, I think he could run off the track occasionally too. Yeah, so they told me. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. you and Ray were married in nineteen sixty five, so you're coming up to fifty six years together. That's you're, right. You're the yeah. proud parents of two daughters, Tracy and Louise, and you are the grandparents of five. That's right. Yep. And boy, have I enjoyed it. Mm. John, you'd be the same. When your own kids are growing up, you're going 100 miles an hour. Yeah. And like, you know, I'd be up early in the morning, 20 past three, you go, you come home, you're looking at the fields the next day, you're going. With the grandkids, I can go and get them, take them, yeah. have a ball, you know. We've been able to take them trips overseas and yeah. it's just been wonderful. Very different. And as many, many grandparents will testify, you can give them back. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. Gary, we've got to devote a special segment to the horse who propelled you to the big stage and the horse yeah. who brought you to Australia, the Iron Gelding. Battle Heights. He yep. didn't race at all as a two-year-old. He won only two races as a three-year-old. You rode him yep. in most of his four-year-old starts for only one win at Rotorua. So he was That's obviously right. a very, very slow maturer and his best was a long way off, wasn't it, at that stage? I know. Look, uh, it was really strange. Um, like I used to ride a lot for Tim Douglas and Tim had a magnificent farm in a place called Morrisville. It would be about or 30 kilometres from Matter where we lived. Mm. And he rang up one night and he said, you and Raymond come over for lunch tomorrow because you only used to ride on a Saturday in those days and mm. races. There was no midweek race meeting. Mm. And um, bring your jodhpurs, we'll go for a ride. And he saddled up the two horses and put me on this horse. I didn't know what it was, Battle Heights it was, but mm. <laughs> I didn't know at the stage. We go up over the hills and that, and he said, what do you reckon? I said, oh, he moves all right. He said, moves all right. It's the best source. You'll throw a leg over. Really? And I thought, mm. gee. And I actually went for the other one, a horse called Gwendolyn. Mm. <laughs> I rode that most of the time. Yeah. But um, he just sort of got better as he got older. Yeah. Oh, he did. And, you didn't and ride the him much. He, and the weights he carried, John, like, you know, people forget yeah. – um, yeah, you know, he was always carrying 58, 59, yeah, 61 always. in the Melbourne Cup. Mm. And um, the bottom weights in those days had 47 kilos. Oh, yeah. Yep. You didn't ride him much as a five-year-old. Grenville Hughes and Brian Andrews shared the rides then. And That's he, right. He only won three races in average company and still he hadn't set foot out of New Zealand. But as no. a six-year-old, he started to emerge. He had a total of 24 starts at the 13th of those runs, he finished second in the Auckland Cup with Alwyn Tweedy on board 
That's you right. could tell he was starting to put it all together. Now, Gary, he must have been inherently sound, was he? Because when he arrived in yeah. Sydney, he'd had 66 New Zealand starts. Do you ever recall his having a problem? No, no, he never, ever had a problem. Goodness me. He was incredible. The only thing he used to do, he used to get down on his heels a bit at the back. Did he? And that's, um, you know, when we get to Sydney, I can tell you what happened, how he missed the start. He used to run in the Chippy Norton Stakes, mm. and he'd got down on his heels and one blew up of it, so we couldn't run him. Oh, dear. And um, then we had to go into the Autumn Stakes. That was over 2,000 metres. Mm. And we thought he – look, he only got beat about a length. He ranked yeah. fourth. Yeah. But the press from going – he went from favourite, he blew out the door. And um, mm. I remember Tim saying to me, we went to work him at Warwick Farm on the Sunday and the track wasn't open. So yeah. we found a, an oval there and I worked him around there a bit and mm. he felt terrific. Mm. And I remember going to the races, Tim said to me, now, look, you know, don't kill him. If he can't win the race, don't kill him. So yeah. – uh, he had 58 and a half on his back, I think. And I remember I dropped back a bit and in the run, I just kept moving up when the run sort of came. And yeah. as we get into the home corner at Ramwick, yeah. um, he'd moved into about fourth place. And I thought, gee, you're going good, Freddie. I used to always call him Freddie. Yeah. And um, as we come up the rise, Grand Scale came at me and I thought, gee, I better just wait a bit. Yeah. And as we leveled out at the 200, I thought, bloody hell, I'm going to win the Sydney Cup. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I just, oh, I just couldn't believe it. Oh, I can yeah. remember it, Gary. I called that cup and right. I can still see you over the last furlong, you and Peter Cook, and you threw everything but the kitchen sink at the at Freddie. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah. it's just funny, uh, Grand Scale kept laying in on top of me a bit. And we, we had, when you see the head on, it's, mm. you know, we did belt a few times, and I, I think I most probably would have got the race on protest, but it's mm. always better to win it yeah. well, than ten, have to go through a protest. Ten days later, he backed up to win the Queen Elizabeth Stakes, beating Diana and Igloo, who'd both beaten him home in the Autumn Stakes previously. Yeah. Now, this time, though, you were odds on. You won by four lengths. Now, is the part that will upset you. The race was worth $10,000. Today it's worth four bloody million. Yeah. Well, what do you reckon Manicoto would win on today's stakes? Oh, damn me. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. No, no, I knew you wouldn't. <laughs> no, no, I know. But, you know, that was a funny thing too. Like he had a hard run in the Sydney Cup mm. and you remember it was Champagne Stakes Day in Queen Elizabeth mm. and they ran the barrier for the Champagne Stakes and the heavens opened up. Mm. and it absolutely bucketed down. So they put the races off, mm. and I remember walking out. We had to take our shoes and socks off to get to the cars that day, mm. and it gave us another seven days to get him over the Sydney Cup run. Yeah. And I remember that day I said to Tim, I might have to lead on him today. He said, he's never led in his life. And I said, well, mm. these guys will go so slow. I said, they might out-sprint him. I said, I'm just going to make the pace myself. So. Yeah. And was he happy in front? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he didn't switch oh, off. Oh, he was amazing. I was, yeah. You know, one day at Tiara, I was riding him. You know how they have the markers out on the tracks when you work in the morning? Yeah. We'd gone about, I was going over a mile and a quarter, and uh, I just counted off and everything. I got round to the mile, and the bit broke in his mouth. Oh, yeah. And I thought, hell, what am I going to do here? And he just carried on <laughs> like as if I was still riding him. Yeah. When I got past the post, I went, hey, woo, Freddie, woo, boy, woo. And he yeah. just slowed down, turned around and started walking back. Yeah. You sure he didn't have any trotting blood? <laughs> he might have. <laughs> <laughs> now, Gary, as a seven-year-old, uh, all but one of his 15 runs were in Australia. He won yep. two. He won the Cox Plate and the CB Cox Stakes in Perth. Yeah. Now, how do you rate his Cox Plate win over a very good horse in Taurus Bulba? I seem to recall he showed a little bit of dash that day. He did, yes. Well, he, um, we'd been in Sydney and um, what was it? The Metropolitan, mm. I think. I am sure someone got at him, John. You mm. can't prove it, but he raced that day like, oh, he was. Couldn't pick his feet up. No. Yeah. And, you know, we noticed uh, we were staying at Jimmy Barker's place at Warwick Farm 
Mm. And you could see someone had been in the box, but you couldn't prove anything, you know. Yeah. And um, he freshened up. We were staying out at Ernie Hewitt's place at a place called Rockbank out of Melbourne, and uh, yeah. he thrived there. And um, in the Cox Plate, I rode him back a bit, mm. and I tacked on to Tara's Bulba and Johnny Stocker was on him, and uh, mm. I got a beautiful run up behind them. And when I pulled him out, he just exploded. Oh, he did, yeah, which it wasn't usually his caper. No, no, no. So that was a good one too to win my first race in Melbourne, the Cox Plate. Ah, terrific. Well, yeah. as an eight-year-old, uh, he raced nine times, seven of them in Australia. He won only one, though, the Anzac Day Cup at Randwick. But what yeah. do you think he did as a nine-year-old, the old freak? Yeah, he, I know. Come, 14 came, starts, eight of yeah. them in Australia. He won the Metropolitan. He yep. ran second in the Caulfield Cup to a champion mare in How Now. Larry yep. Olsen rode him that day. That's right. And then Roger Lang took over. Actually, Roger rode him in most of his runs that season. And yeah. Roger was back on board when the horse was a 10-year-old. He raced seven times, only one win at Avondale, and the curtain came down on his career when he was unplaced in the 1977 LKS McKinnon. Gary had 114 starts, not a massive win ratio, 23 wins, 14 yeah. seconds, 15 and a couple of dead heats for third, 400,000, doesn't sound much now, but it was a fortune in the 1970s. Yeah, he was the leading stake owner when he retired. Yes, 400,000. Yeah. <laughs> now, he was unplaced, and this is the part that, uh, you know, you might think takes a little bit of gloss off it. He was unplaced. 62 times. Did he have his bad days? Could he put in an ordinary one? Well, I, I often wonder whether he, on his good days, you know, he could he'd give you everything he had. Yeah. And I often wonder whether that would take a lot out of him. Mm. And, and I noticed later on um, riding, John, a lot of the good horses I rode, they could come out and win first up. Mm. Give you everything, mm. and uh, the next start, the flat, yeah, yeah, flat. Mm. Like a, a prime example was Clay Hero. I, I rode him um, in the Healy Stakes for Rick Orlacy, mm. and he won by about three lengths. Mm. And I hadn't ridden much for Rick, and he said, "Can I get a ride down the coast with you?" And I said, "Oh yeah, good." And he said, well, "I'm going to run that horse next week in the Eyeliner." And I said, "Gee, I wouldn't run him, Rick." I said. Mm. He gave me everything he had today. What, said, what horse was that, Gary? Clay Hero. Very good oh, sprinter. Clay Hero, yep. Yeah. Mm. And um, he said, oh, I know he'll be right. And I said, oh, you know, oh, I don't know. Mm. So um, he took me off him and he put, um, oh, I think Grant Cooksey might have ridden him. Mm. And he was, you know, odds on yep. and ran fourth. Yep. You know, they just can't keep doing it. No, no, that's right. Well, and uh, and I think that's sort of what what it was, you know. Mm. Yeah, just the old second up syndrome, as they yeah. say. Yeah. Now you were well established in Melbourne by the time a precocious two-year-old by the name of Manicato entered Bonnie Hoisted Stable. You were on him soon after he got home from the breakers, and I yep. think you've already covered it. Really, he was a spooky son of a gun in those early days, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh, you didn't know where he was going to go. Mm. <laughs> and um, before his first start, they took him out to Flemington, and those days they had a crossing about the 800-metre mark, mm. and the stalls were at the 1,000. And when we jumped, as he came to them, he pricked his ears, and I thought, oh, where are we going here? And I didn't know what he was going to do. <laughs> no. And in the finish, he tried to jump it, and he hurt his back a bit, and he oh, had dear. to go out for a spell. Mm. And it was the best thing that ever happened to that horse when he came back. Mm. I saw him in January. He'd furnished. He looked magnificent. Mm. Yeah. Did did you a favour long term? Yeah, did. Yeah. Now we've talked yeah. about uh, the early days. He won the Blue Diamond. He won the Slipper, and then ran up the two thousand metre starting shoot. He went yeah. on to win twenty nine from forty seven, including twenty which are today classified as Group Ones. He won yeah. the Caulfield Guineas. He won four Futurities. Five William Reeds, two George Riders. He was the second horse in Australia to reach the $1 million prize money mark. Gary, yeah. I always felt one of his great wins as a three year old 
came in the Doomben 10,000 with 58, a weight-carrying record at that stage. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Incredible. Mm. And, and uh, you know, they served it up to him that day and uh, I was a bit lucky. I let a thing go mm. and uh, just sort of sat back off it and I got a lovely run behind it. Mm. And um, he just fought them all off up yeah. the straight. You know, like, I think Casca came at me late mm. and it had 47 kilos. Yeah, Casca. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. Mm. You know. Manicato. But he had that incredible will to win like um, – yeah. Um, in those days, three, he, get, you know, he had that brilliant acceleration and then later as his old legs started to play up a bit, you could get to him, but you could feel him, you're not getting past me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Every year they'd be, they'd say, oh, this one's going to beat him, you know. Mm. Even that day when we got over the million, that's one of the best days I rode, Kingston Town when his third cox played. Yeah. And there was a race between us and then I went out on Manakoto and um, – Rancher had come on the scene. Yeah, he was favourite. Mm. And I think I drew 14 at the 1,000 at uh, the Valley, and I said to Bob, look, I'll just sit back off him a little bit. Mm. And I finished up. I might have even been three wide, but I was sitting back about four or five lengths off them. Mm. As we came up to the 600, I just knew I was going to win. He was going so easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His original trainer, Bonnie Hoisted, died not long after the Golden Slipper win. Yeah. Now, his brother Bob took over and Bob trained the great horse for the rest of his career. Gary, Bob Hoisted was a trainer of great finesse and great judgment and a man who truly lived for his horses. He worried about them day and night. Yeah, he'd worry about things that you and I wouldn't even think about. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. He was in uh, Sydney on one of the campaigns and he had him stabled at Rose Hill and Channel 9 News got me to go out and do a little news piece on the horse. And I can remember, I can't remember whose stabling complex it was, but Manicato had a box there and Bob yeah. had brought with him from Melbourne, I think it was a red cattle dog. Oh, yeah. Uh, am I right? Yeah. Was, was it red <laughs> he, he or blue? Eat, he would have eaten you. Mate, <laughs> I can recall, had Bob left that horse, uh, that dog anywhere near me, um, I was a goner. He was an absolute yeah. man-eater. He was. <laughs> <laughs> he was <laughs> M- Manicato's guard. Yeah, definitely. Four. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the racing world was very saddened in 1984 when he was struck down by a mysterious virus and he had to yeah. be euthanised. His remains were interred in the Manicato Memorial Garden at Mooney Valley where he'd had some of his finest moments I know yep. you spend a few moments there whenever you're at Mooney Valley. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it, it was really great, and it was amazing. Uh, like they had uh, the garden had come out in these colours, the flowers, mm. and they had a big TV with all these races showing them over and over. Mm. And um, it was amazing how many people would get there and you know go up and more or less, you know, relive the memories of him. Yeah, oh, amazing. Now, Gary, we're going to pause for a break on the podcast. We'll be back with you after this to talk about some other top-class thoroughbreds you had the good fortune to ride during your stellar career. Back in a moment. The $1.3 million Kosciuszko is the world's richest race for country-trained horses and the field is determined by those who draw winning tickets in the Kosciuszko sweepstakes. $5 tickets are now available through the Tab app or your local TAB outlet. 14 winning ticket holders will be drawn on September the 9th. Holders of those winning tickets will have the opportunity to select the horse they'd like to run in their entry and if successful will then negotiate the terms of a prize money split with the owners of that horse. A $5 ticket could make it possible for you or your syndicate of friends to share in the ownership of a runner in a race which in just three runnings has achieved a high profile. Grafton-trained Bell Flyer gave his slot holders a big thrill when he won the first Kosciuszko in 2018. In 2019, it was Handle the Truth, and last year, It's Me from Scone. It's an exciting opportunity for bush horses to take centre stage on one of the biggest race days in the world. It gives punters and racing fans the opportunity to share in the ownership of a horse running in a $1.3 million race. Remember, the 14 winning slot holders 
will be drawn on September the 9th. Well, Gary, time's on the wing, so we're going to slip through a few here at a decent, right. uh, a decent bat. Battle Heights and Manicato were the two most important horses you rode, but gee whiz, there were some others. What about, and talking of Bob Hoisted, Rose of Kingston, who carried yeah, the Kingston well, Town Colours to 10 wins at top level. After winning the 1982 Australasian Oaks in Adelaide, she came to Sydney where she had an incredible autumn, second in the Canterbury Guineas, second in the Rose Hill Guineas, third in the Tancred against the older horses, and then a stunning victory in the AJC Derby. The first filly in 38 years to win that derby. Yeah. Well, look, look, I fell in love with her the first morning I rode her at the track. Mm. You know, I used to come home and talk about Rosie. I think Raymond thought I was having an affair with someone. <laughs> <laughs> Did she? You loved her. <laughs> oh, look, mm. oh, look she, she had that beautiful big stride and everything. And um, I think she won her first race, the Blood Horse Breeders. I think she was about 50 or 60 to 1. Good it was man. amazing. Mm. And um, it's funny how things turn out. Um, Bob and I had a blue over a horse. He wanted me to go to Sydney and ride a thing, Bold Rain, and I wanted to stay in Melbourne and ride Glenson and the Mooney Valley Stakes. Mm. And in, and in, he was pretty pe- – we were both stupid at the time. He said to me, well, if you don't come up, you're off all my horses. And I thought, oh, yeah, rubbish. Mm. <laughs> and he yeah. did. He took me off. And <laughs> the worst thing, David Haynes, who owned Rosa Kingston, he, we had a great association and uh, – mm. She was getting a different jockey every time she started, mm. and she should have won a lot more races. Mm. And what really brassed David off was um, I'd been over riding Tommy Smith, ran me up to ride Copperama and the Thousand Guineas, mm. and I'm coming down towards the turn. Roses Kingston's trapped about four, and I get to run right along the fence and get up and win. Ooh. And David rang me up that night furious, you know. And oh, was he? So... Um, in the derby, uh, the VRC derby, she clipped the thing's heels on the home corner. I think Brent Thompson might have been on her. Yep. Nearly fell. Mm. And then Roy rode her in the VRC Oaks, and she won by about six lengths. Yeah. And David rang me up that night, and he said, look, I've had enough of this. Either you're back on all my horses, or she's going to Tommy Smith. Mm. So – Bob evidently went down. She'd gone out for a spell, and Bob went to pick her up, and Neville Pepper was looking after her, and he said, have you rung Gary yet? And Bob said no. And he said, well, I'm telling you now. The boss said, if you don't ring him, she's going to Tommy. So Bobby rang me, and I went down and saw him. I said, look, you know, I'm happy to come back riding for you. And he said, oh, well, that's great, because he said, you're so reliable, I've missed you, you know. Mm. So lucky we got back together, because – I'll she came along, love a show, Spirit of Kingston, all these good horses. Oh, dear me, yeah. One after another. Mm. And um, as you say, like, she won the Australasian Oaks. And in the derby, oh, she bolted him. Oh, yeah, terrific. I can still hear Des Hoisted, uh, who called the race. Yeah, that's right. Bob's <laughs> cousin. Des yeah. completely abandoned his race call. All he said the last furlong was, go, Rosie, go, Rosie. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's right. Uh, everybody yeah. loved her. And then, oh, this is another tragedy. Um, mm. Then they decided to run her in the Sydney Cup. Mm. And so I was engaged to ride LA Vizieux. So I said to uh, Ken Baker, owned LA Vizieux, and Chris Honey, said, look, I'll get Roy Higgins up to ride LA Vizieux for you. So... Mm. I pick Roy up on the Monday morning. We get out to Rose Hill. Bob's run up the car. He said, send Higgins home. I said, what's happened? Mm. He said, a bloke's hit her with a motorbike. I oh, said, you yeah. are kidding me. On James Roos Drive at Rose Hill, yeah. they had a set of traffic lights back then for horses to yeah. cross the road to the race course. And yep. uh, all the traffic stopped except a bloke on a motorbike who did see her at the yep. last second and slammed the brakes on, but he actually yep. skidded into her off Four leg. Yeah. Mm. And, oh, I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh, we got six horses. What do you have to do? Because mm. <laughs> she mate. was like driving a motor car, John. Really, mm. You jump out, well, it's a bit like paddle lights. You jump out of the barrier. If you want to ease, just ease. They'd come back under you. Mm. When a run come, you'd just press the gears. Away you'd go. And, uh, oh, you know. Mm. Oh, God knows how. I wouldn't know how good she was. The other, uh, mm. She was never quite the same after the accident, no. was she? 
No, she mm. came back and um, mm. I think she had three runs. She won the uh, Craigley Stakes at mm. Flemington. Mm. Then she ran second in the Underwood Stakes. Mm. And then she ran in a Kunji handicap. And she actually broke down in the other leg, well, I reckon, with about 100 yards to go. But I really? just sat on her and yeah. she was still good enough to win. But mm. then David sent her to America and yeah, the result of Kingston Rule. At great expense, she sent her to Kentucky where she visited the legendary Secretariat. Yeah. The result was a magnificent cult described at the time as an image of Isaiah. The yeah. horse started his career in France, couldn't raise a trot, came to Australia where Tommy Smith trained him, gave him one start. He got beaten 35 lengths at Warwick Farm. Then he yeah. went to Bart and he went on to win a Mooney Valley Cup, second in the Dalgetty, and then he won the Melbourne Cup of 1990 in course record yeah. time. Yeah. Best filly you ever rode, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm. Definitely. Spirit yeah. of Kingston wasn't as good as Rose of Kingston. They were half-sisters, yeah. but she yeah. was good enough to win a VRC Oaks and an Edward Manifold, and again, Bob Hoisted weaved his magic. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, look, in the, in the um, VRC Oaks, she was never going to lose that race, you know. Mm. Um, it was funny, I, I drew inside and as we went into the back, I don't know what made me do it, I just I was on the fence and I just shifted one horse off. Mm. Well, there was that much interference, this thing came flying back. If I'd stayed on the fence, I would have run straight in the back of it. Oh. To this day, I don't know what made me shift. Mm. <laughs> now, I'm glad you did. Yeah. <laughs> now, Gary, you won two races on a wonderful horse called Taurus Bulba for a remarkable man, Jim Marconi. Yeah. Uh, who started off buying well-bred yearlings at uh, sales in Australia and New Zealand, eventually finished up taking out a trainer's licence. Yeah. I think uh, there were plenty of people who didn't take him seriously at first, but he yeah. finished up doing a pretty good job, didn't he? Oh, incredible. Like, he, he mm. had an incredible eye for a horse and, uh, you know, uh, and Tara's Bulba, that was actually the first Australian trained horse I rode. Uh, George Hanlon rang me up. We were in Sydney again. And mm. have you got a ride in the race or Guinea's son? I said, no. He said, will you ride Tara's Bulba? And mm. I won on it and really bolted in that day. And George said, oh, I'll ride him in the AJC Derby. And mm. I said, oh, that's great. And then I remember I was out picking Battle Heights and Tommy Brassel and Keith Robbins came over and they said, oh, you're not riding that horse in the Derby now. Um, John Stocker's going to ride it. Yeah. I said, oh, is he? Mm. And um, I said, will you, will you take him on for a riding fee? I said, oh, I'll think about it. And I said to Tim Douglas, mm. how can I take him on for a riding fee? I've just picked the ride up and mm. that, you know. So I rang George up and he said, no, Marconi wants Johnny on. He was his jockey in yeah. Melbourne. And George said to me at the time, look, don't worry, son, I'll make it up to him. Well, boy, did he ever. When yeah. I shifted to Melbourne. Yeah. I wrote so many winners for George. It was just yeah. incredible. Yeah, he never never forgot the promise he'd no. made. No. no, that's right. Gary, you mentioned How Now earlier, a yep. great mare, Caulfield Cup winner. You picked up a ride on her in a wakeful stakes. Did she feel like a future Caulfield Cup winner? Oh, yes, she was very good. Mm. That was uh, that week that I decided to shift over here that you talked about riding the Mini Valley Cup. Mm. I'd been riding work for Bart and um, Holiday Wagon was to run in the Geelong Cup mm. and Harry White was riding it. And it's funny, Bart's walking away from me and he said, how do you think that horse will go today? I said, mm. it needs a run. <laughs> he said, what? He stopped in his tracks. Yeah. He said, we thought it would win. I said, no. I said, it needs another <laughs> run. Mm. So it ran fourth in the Geelong Cup and he said to me on the Friday, he said, oh, you were right about that horse. Mm. And I said, well, can I ride it in the Mini Valley Cup? He said, no, Johnny Duggan's coming to ride it. I said, gee, you're a hard man to get a ride off. Yeah. And I remember it was a shocking day. Uh, Brent Thompson had come over, a 17-year-old. He was staying with Raven and I, mm. and he was riding Fury's Order in the Cox Plate. Mm. So we go to the races, and Brent wins the Cox Plate. Mm. And the next race is the Mini Valley Cup, and I'm just getting changed. And Bart comes in, and he said, can mm. you ride 49? I said, yes. Mm. He said, he ride this horse. I said, what's wrong with Johnny? He said, oh, he's kilo overweight. I'm not putting overweight on. Mm. So I won the f that for Bart. That's Holiday Wagon. 
holiday wagon, then the next mm. week I picked her right up on how now for Colin Hayes. As you yeah, said, mate. the way for stakes. Yeah. And she bolted him. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, very good. Now and going, next commander on the Thursday, that was this, uh, another pickup. One yeah. of the uh, Linlithgow stakes. Yeah. Then I went on Family A Man for George on the Saturday and another winner for Bart. Mm. The same day, so yeah, you were off, off and running. Lease the property. Let's go. <laughs> we'll <laughs> go for five years. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Family of Man, Gary, yeah. who, who wasn't reared in the lush pastures of a state-of-the-art Hunter Valley stud, and he certainly had a very dubious pedigree. He yeah. was by a horse who stood at a service fee of six hundred dollars. He was out of a speedy little bushmare called Colleen. Uh, who'd won a few races. She might, may have won one in town, but right. no more than that. And this bloke was reared on a sparse paddock at a little place called Nevertire in far western New South Wales. I drove through there recently on my right. way to Ningen for the... I never uh, knew that. <laughs> yeah, and I thought of him. I thought of him driving through Nevertire. That's where he was reared. He finished right. up having 78 starts, 21.5 wins, 29.5 placings, and 675,000 40 years ago. You won six races on him. Yeah. Yeah, he was a very good horse. Yeah. He had a baldy face, didn't he? Yep. Mm, yep. Big baldy face. Good riding horse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was a good horse to ride. Mm. He, he, he didn't like a fight, John. That was the trouble with him. Really? If you could get there and win, he'd win. But if you got there with another horse and had to fight, mm. he didn't like fighting. <laughs> he was, eh? So yeah. he, was, he was no bulldog? No, no. Well, I'll tell you a couple of bulldogs you did happen to ride later. You yeah. only had uh, you had two rides on Strawberry Road and you had one ride on Red Anchor. Now, Strawberry yeah. Road, firstly, where was Mick, who I wouldn't Mick. have thought you'd ever get him off Strawberry Road? No, that's right. No, well, unfortunately, both times with these two horses, Rick got suspended. Mm. And I was the lucky one that got the ride. Mm. But uh, I did say to Tommy when I went on Red Anchor, tell Mick to stay home in Sydney. Don't come down for the Caulfield Guineas. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> Mick could have none of it. <laughs> no, you won a freeway stakes on him, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Well, you, <laughs> you must have given Dittman chloroform to get on Red Anchor in the Mooney Valley Stakes in 1984. You yeah. can dine out on the fact, Gary, that you had one ride for one win on a great little horse, Red Anchor. Oh, yeah. He was a good horse. Mm. Yeah. You know, Dittman, yeah, I remember Mick, Mick wasted so hard to ride him in the Cox Plate and he, yeah. he couldn't ride after the Cox Plate. He was Exhausted. absolutely had it. Yeah. yeah. You know, Mick told me once that Red Anchor – was the most amazing horse he ever rode in races. He said that horse could spot an opening before he did. Right. Yeah, do you recall? He probably didn't, you weren't in that predicament. No, I wasn't. No. no. I was, I, he just won so easy the day I rode Yeah. Yeah, Dittman yeah. said uh, he had a real brain. He said uh, he'd be aware that two horses were starting to separate before the jockey realised it. Right. And he was through and gone. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, incredible. Now, when you reminisce about the horses you've most admired, you always get a twinkle in the eye when you talk about a two-year-old filly you rode in the 82-83 season. Bob hoisted again. Her yeah. name was Lover Show. She only yeah, had I... five starts, Gary, three wins, two placings. What happened to her? Oh, look, she was just, you know, another one that you – It was real, she's another good story. Uh, we're at the track this morning and Bob, she'd come from the breakers and Bob was waiting there and I I went and worked some other horse and I came back and he's still there and I said, what's happened? He said, oh, well, one of the boys was going to come and ride her. I said, well, look, I'll ride her. He said, oh, no, she's just come from the breakers. And I said, don't worry, I'll be right. Mm. I went out and soon as I rode her, I came in I said, we've got another champion here. I Did just feel her. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I, it was a funny thing, John. I could always tell you if it was any good or not. Yeah. I, I had that feel for them. Mm. Oh, well, and, uh, obviously. Yeah. And because um, um, she won the Blue Diamond, she bowled in. And then we get to Sydney. And the week coming up to the uh, Golden Slipper, 
there was something wrong with her. She was sweating around the eye and she'd sweat around the, the flanks and we couldn't find what was wrong with her. Mm. And she sort of felt all right working and everything. And then in the slipper, I've had a magnificent run. And when I brought her out, I thought she'll just leave him for dead now. Yeah. And she just sort of battled. Yeah. And Sir Dapper beat me home in another cult. Yeah, and been there. Yeah, when I that's right. When mm. I said to Bob, she just doesn't feel right. He said, oh, Gary, two cults beat you home. I said, no, nah, she didn't feel right. Mm. She died that night, John. She oh. had a twisted bowel. and that's Goodness me. She could have dropped dead in the race, but, yeah. oh, that was a real tragedy. She was another one that, yeah. you know, you're looking at the thousand guineas and all those races later on. She was mm. brilliant. Her name was Lover Show and she was by one of the top stallions of the day, yeah. Showdown. Yeah, she could have been worth anything, wouldn't she? Mm. <laughs> well, Gaz, yeah. uh, we've had to miss a lot of good horses because time's beaten us and oh, yeah. uh, we've missed a lot of good stories too. Uh, It's been lovely to catch up, and if ever we find Sydney and Melbourne out of lockdown at the same time, I'll make you this promise, I'll meet you at the Dingley Hotel, and I'll shout you that lunch I owe you. Yeah, well, the same goes for me. I'd love to be able to get up to Ramwick one time and just meet you guys and Neville Begg and all the people that helped me when I first came over from uh, New Zealand. It'd be great to catch up, John, and have a beer and reminisce over all the great times. Well, we've done a fair bit of that today, Gary, and it's been an yeah. absolute delight to have you on a podcast on a Sunday morning. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks very much, John. Great to hear from you. Lovely to talk to a former champion jockey in Gary Willits on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. It came as no surprise when English Managing Director Mark Webster announced that South Australian GTRA would fill the company's slot in the Everest at Randwick on October the 16th. GTRA ran in the English slot last year, coming from well back to finish a strong third to classic legend. The horse stayed in Sydney and two weeks later won the $1 million Yes, Yes, Yes stakes at Rosehill Gardens. Not long after, he presented with a knee problem which required surgery for the removal of a bone chip and then a long spell. On resuming, G. Tra ran third in the Group 1 Goodwood Handicap and was then taken to Brisbane where he was unplaced in the Kingsford Smith Cup only 2.8 lengths from the winner after a wide run and a pretty hefty check in the straight. Fittingly, he was purchased by trainer Gordon Richards at the 2017 England Premier sale for just $41,000. He's taken his large ownership syndicate on a fantastic journey with 10 wins and 12 placings for more than $3.2 million. Inglis and GTRA get together for the second time in the world's richest race on turf, the fifth running of the Tab Everest at Royal Randwick on October the 16th. 